You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. The countdown to the Thoroughbred Makeover is on. This week, we're talking to a dressage trainer that almost everybody knows from YouTube and learning more about the mission of the Retired Racehorse Project. And we've got all the tips and tricks for shopping at a big horse show. Thanks for tuning in. From Heels Down Mag, a podcast where horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome, Welcome to Happy, Happy Hour. Hour. I'm Justine Griffin. I'm Jessica Payne. And I'm Ellie Wozniaka. Welcome to episode 116 of Heels Down Happy Hour. Hey, guys. What's up, guys? How you doing? Not bad. Good. Busy good. week in Kentucky, which was good. Yeah, it looked amazing. The ACs looked fabulous, and both horses looked great, guys. Yeah, not bad. So it was a lot of fun and lots of things. And it's just, uh, it's always fun. Kentucky's a great place to watch. Even, you know, the novice go around the cross country is pretty awesome. I know. I just like, I love watching the live stream of just everybody out there because what a fun show. Like, it's definitely a bucket list show for me one day. Oh, for sure. It's, it's super fun. And like the novice this year, Doug's mom went like galloping through the head of the lake, which was pretty awesome. You know, like for them to be able to go do that is uh, an incredible experience. You know, a lot, a lot of them get to watch Land Rover and then get to go do it themselves is pretty incredible. I saw him post about that. It was, it was so cute. <laughs> and then another girl posted like a picture in the head of the lake. She was jumping like, you know, just a roll top thing. And I was like, that's, that's such a cool picture. Absolutely. So this episode is brought to you by Eagle Gold. As you guys know, we love Eagle Gold. We're big fans. Eagle Gold was a sponsor of the AECs this year. I'm sure you saw many new breeze pads out there at the Kentucky Horse Park. If you're interested in learning more about Eagle Gold, you can go to eaglegold.ca. All right, Jess, so I hear you've got a good Kentucky-inspired drink for us. I did. So everybody that's listened to this podcast for five plus years or even last week knows that uh, we love our bourbon and it's kind of like our drink of choice. So especially being in Kentucky, one of the restaurants we were at, we do have our favorites, but one of the ones we were at had a new old fashioned and it was a twist off of an old fashioned with like a little bit of more fruit type thing. So I wanted to bring you guys this recipe. I found a very similar one online and it reads to make one cocktail, you do two ounces of bourbon. They say not to use the great stuff, but use good stuff. You use a quarter ounce of vanilla bean syrup. So it's a little bit of a different syrup, you know, instead of a simple syrup. And then three dashes of orange bitters or any other type of bitters. One bourbon soaked cherry or a cocktail cherry. Uh, There's some really cool bourbon cherries that you can get, bourbon soaked cherries. And so one or two, I usually try to put two in them. And then um, an orange and you'll use the peel to make a twist. And this one makes it a little bit refreshing as you can add up to an ounce of club soda as an option to kind of give it a little bit, you know, a bit of a sparkling twist. And what it says to do is in a mixing glass, Just mix the cocktail by adding the dashes of bitter. Think like you're shaking out the Tabasco hot sauce. Measure the syrup and stir once to combine. Then you're going to add a scoop of ice to really get it and kind of dilute it and stir it pretty swiftly. They say about 10 times to mix up everything. Now you're going to strain it into your old-fashioned cocktail glass where you have like a big 
uh, either square or round, ideally one ice cube that's very large. They say you can use the biggest ones you have, but I was like, you know, a cube or a a sphere. And then you add your desired one ounce of the club soda. So you measure it, make sure you don't do too much. And then you're going to slice off part of the orange peel. And a lot of times they put part of the orange around the rim, and then you can garnish it with your cherries and your orange slice. Mm, I like this one a lot. I like the fruit that you add to it. So you just add a little bit of fruit. So you have the cherry, you have the orange, you've got a little bit of the soda to kind of help it, but it, it was amazing. Mm, that's not, I feel like this makes it just sweet enough that it's now in my realm. Yes. Yeah. Right. But it feels yes. very Kentucky too. It's a great Kentucky drink. Yeah, no, it was, it was great. So we'll obviously t- uh, put this one in the notes that you guys can click on it and give us your feedback because you guys have been great with giving me bourbon recipes. And so I have to deliver a really good one for you guys. All right. Well, Jess, why don't you kick us off with the news? So we all talked about the AACs and how great that was. But during the weekend of AACs, I bet everybody's eyes or a lot of people, hopefully you guys watched Burley. It was an incredible experience to watch. Like we were cheering on the Americans and Jesse, a Canadian, was there and they all had some of their best finishes. And so I just want to give a huge shout out to the Americans that went. Boyd had Tessa Lagan on cue. Jenny Brannigan or Seville went for her first time Burley and finished. I think she was 12th. She was amazing. And hats off to Jesse Phoenix because that horse is a bit tricky in the show jumping. It always doesn't perform in the best in the dressage. It's a great cross country horse, but she had a personal best dressage mark. She jumped amazing in the show jumping and was quite fast around cross country. So a really good finish for the North Americans. It was a really, really fun thing to watch. And I mean, it's pretty amazing that Ollie Townen in Baltimore class took in another win. Tim Price was in the lead and he had only a rail in hand. And of course he had, you know, more than that, but it dropped him, I think to fourth, but amazing that Ollie Townend could pull off that. He's won it now, I think three times and two times on this horse in particular. And I thought that was pretty incredible. And then it was a really fun thing. David Dole, he had a great performance he finished second. And then Harry Mead had a really cool mare. She jumped amazing on the cross country. She was one that uh, kind of caught our eye. She looks fantastic and finished off the podium. So a really, really good finish, but amazing to all the Americans as well. And Canadian. Definitely. No, Jesse was the highlight for me, for oh. sure. I was so happy to watch her go around. It was very cool. She, te- I text her and I said, oh my goodness, like, great job. Like, you really are, you know, amazing. What a performance, all that. And she was like, what a weekend. So, so, so happy for her. That's so cool. Yeah, I was glued to that live stream for sure. Oh, yeah. It was amazing. And they did great. Burley TV puts it on every year and they did a great job of always giving us, you know, the latest news and keeping us up to date. Mm-hmm. Ellie, what do you got? Well, so I know we've been talking, especially with Justine and I having horses with injuries, but I found this just interesting kind of coverall of everything we've kind of been talking about, because I know we've mentioned a lot of therapies, but we haven't really gone into why they would be used or what they would be used for. So I kind of wanted to just share this article I found on the horse and give you guys a little bit of an 
overall with the tendon and ligaments situation. So tendon and ligaments, those are the leading causes for poor performance and injuries in performance horses. The repair process takes months and you're often at risk of re-injury. And then the therapies depend greatly on the severity. So the injuries can range from, you know, just a mild sprain to complete ruptures. So the your vet will recommend different therapies based on the severity of the injury. So the more conventional treatments, especially during the first like inflammatory phase, those are going to be your your wrapping to minimize swelling, your cold hosing and icing to help control heat and swelling, your anti-inflammatory drugs, and that's going to be your controlled exercise, your stall, rest, and hand walking. And then the more advanced therapies that I know we've touched on using various ones with our horses, and I know I've used almost all of these on Batman, um, these are going to help when used in conjunction with those conventional therapies. These are your your biologic therapies, so your stem cells, your plasma, platelet-rich plasma, your PRP, your prostride, uh, your laser therapy, your shockwave, therapeutic ultrasound even, and electrical stimulation like the electroacupuncture. And those are, you know, for more, usually more severe injuries. And they do change your overall timeline to soundness, depending on the severity. But for most tendon and ligament injuries, you're looking at approximately six months to a year before back to full work. And obviously back to full work, I use air quotes there because that's going to depend on your severity and your therapies used. I just wanted to bring this up to you guys because I think we've kind of mentioned so much of them, but also just the the overall general rule, right, is you want to have as early of diagnosis as possible. You really want to stick to the protocols. Like if your vet says, you know, hand walk twice a day for five minutes, like be adamant about that. Stick to the controlled exercise. And I know Justine and I have talked to you about this, but patience is going to be your best friend. These are all going to give your horse the best chance of a positive outcome when recovering from one of these injuries. Absolutely. No, that's a ton of good information and all stuff I wish I knew more about before I was in the boat I'm currently in, right? Right. Oh. <laughs> exactly. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Um, all right. Well, anyways, so my news is interesting. It's a little, it's, it's sort of a history lesson, but with a little bit of news to it. So one of my favorite resources of all time, uh, Ruffian, do you guys remember this filly from the seventies? Um, she's yes, of course pretty storied, right? Like, uh, perhaps the greatest Philly thoroughbred racehorse of all time, um, who unfortunately had a, a terrible ending to her career in Belmont when she injured her ankle. Well, just recently her remains were moved to Kentucky, which is where the Philly was born. So, you know, she's a Hall of Fame racehorse uh, that obviously had a, a pretty successful career in the 70s before her injury that led to her death. But they just recently decided to move, like, exhume her remains and move them, which I think is really interesting. They decided to do this just because that's 
where the Philly was from. And, you know, some racing partners were involved in, in this decision. Um, but it, it just literally just happened within the last couple of weeks, which I think is important just to the culture of thoroughbred horses in Kentucky. I think it's really interesting that they, they chose to do this. So, and, and to be honest, I think this is the first time I've ever heard of anything like that happen with a horse, but I don't know. I could be wrong. Um, but so they, they moved it to Claiborne Cemetery and her remains were actually at Belmont Park. And so now she has been laid to rest again all these years later in Kentucky, which is pretty interesting. The things we, we can do with four sport legends, right? That um, it feels like a nice way to honor her, her memory and, and what she brought to the sport. Absolutely. Big shout out once again to everybody who makes this podcast possible by donating to us through Patreon. We also have really exclusive content for you guys, little mini episodes that we do individually, as well as special contact from our guests and things like that. If you are interested in donating and you want to help create this podcast and make this podcast possible, go to patreon.com slash heels down. And that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash heels down. You guys were both shopping or internet shopping at AECs. And I want to know, what did you find? So I can go first. I did. I'm not sure how many of you guys that were listening went over to the EcoGold booth. I will have to say those were probably some of the better crossbody fanny packs that I have seen. Patricia was like, are you in? I'm like, I'm still not ready to be in for the fanny pack. But <laughs> they were pretty cool looking. I'm like, no, Justine's going to have one because... Mackenzie and Patricia that were in the booth, they were wearing them as like a crossbody, kind of like the Lululemon uh, that you see kind of crossbody fanny packs. And so it wasn't the traditional fanny pack like we see Justine riding in. So I did, I'm not there yet, but I did really like those. And um, they matched the breeze ones that I thought was really cool because like we did the black and the red as like kind of a schooling show pad. And so you could match your colors. So that was pretty cool. And then my kids found the cutest thing over at Ride Equisafe. Of course, they know that they love it over there. They had the smallest little air, uh, just body protector vest. They were so cute. My kids wanted to put them on. Cute. My kids don't ride, but they really liked the vest. So that was super cute. And then we went through and Farm Vet was there. So I had to pick up some necessary things, but there was a lot of clothing stores, which I thought was actually kind of cool. So I went shopping. I didn't actually went, but I didn't buy anything, but I love to like browse along because like the black peacoat was there and a couple other big stores. So there was a lot more clothing, which was very tempting to me, but that was, I want to know how many people bought all the clothes because I almost got myself in some trouble. Oh boy. Yeah, no, I, I'm obsessed with the new Eco Gold belt bags, the little fanny packs. They are very hip. You're right. They are hip. Compared to what I ride in, in like my nineties, uh, bike lady, <laughs> she loves it. Fanny packs. <laughs> These are very cute. I want one so bad though. Cause I love how you can match it with your equal gold pads, you know? So like where I keep my horses now, we hack the roads quite a bit. Like I hack the road to get down to my show jump trainers. And I, so I always bring my phone, right. And I don't always have breaches that have good pockets to carry your phone, but I can still look cute for my lesson, like in my equal gold breeze pad. And now I can match it with the belt bag so I can bring my phone, which I love. They are super cute. They look like the perfect size too, where you can like 
canter around, jump a course, and it's not going to be flopping all, all over the place and like dragging you down. You know what I mean? Like where yep. it's annoying to where they look perfect size wise. So I can't wait to get my hands on one of those because as you guys know, I'm a big fanny pack fan, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, the Kentucky horse park, all of their events, I mean, from Land Rover to the AACs to the RRP, I feel like they do an excellent job with the vendor village. And I think some of the cutest stuff I saw was from their goods. Have you guys heard of them? They make really cute, like home decor type horsey things. They have these super cute, like cocktail napkins that you can buy in different what? colors and fonts. And yeah, they're really adorable. Like they're super cute. If you ever like hosted your own horse girl happy hour, but they're like, some of them were, there were the cute ones that said, trust me, you need another horse. And then it's like a quote and it's from vodka. <laughs> that <laughs> says awesome. vodka. I love that. And there was another one that's like, let's just drink and talk about our horses. I love that. And then I think my all-time favorite one, and it's orange, of course, for my chestnut horse, the napkin said, it's all fun and games until somebody ends up on stall rest. <laughs> that is true. That is very <laughs> oh, <true>. I know. <laughs> so they're adorable. True. And I feel like you only find those things like by browsing at a, like at a vendor village at a horse show, you know what I mean? Or like oh, at Ada, sure. like those are so cute. Like, yes, I'm a big online shopper, but you want to see some of these things in person. Right. Cause that's, those are like a splurge gift for me. Another one that I got that I saw at a vendor village. And I think they were at Kentucky this year too, are the glitter mark ponies where they make these glitter stencils for your horses, almost like, you know, like you can make a quarter mark, but it's with glitter. Um, oh. And so I bought them and I'm saving them for the makeover. So I haven't used them yet, but they're, they had cute feather ones. My horse's name is War Feather. So I'm going to have this cute little like glitter quarter mark uh, with a feather on him for the makeover that I'm so excited about. But the only reason I know about that is because they were at Kentucky, right? So sometimes you just got to go out and browse and just be prepared to splurge when you're at the horse show. It's like the perfect equestrian mall. Right. <laughs> exactly. It's dangerous. It's it dangerous is dangerous. Is it is. <laughs> All right, everybody. I'm very excited to introduce our guest on tonight's episode. It's Amelia Newcomb, who's no newcomer to our show. We're really excited to have this dressage trainer who's based in Somos, California, back on the show with us. And I bet you her name is pretty familiar to you, even if you haven't heard her interview on the show previously, because when I think of Amelia Newcomb, I think of her YouTube channel. It's been such a huge help for me personally with my own horses when I'm trying to troubleshoot uh, riding problems or understanding a new level, a new dressage test. Amelia almost always comes up first in my Google searches because she's thought of everything when it comes to training and troubleshooting those riding problems. So hi, Amelia. Welcome. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here today and talk with you guys about horses. Thanks so much for coming back on the show. So the last time we chatted, I had just completed your 30 days to round challenge, which is a month long online program with this really wonderful community component uh, with a Facebook group where you kind of track your progress as you're going through the lessons that you've tailored specifically for helping a horse accept the aids and become round. And I, it's funny, like I still use little tidbits from that training all the time, like daily in my rides, which have helped me with young horses, with more advanced horses. And it's just such a wonderfully robust platform. And I know you're about, you just opened 
basically another 30 days per round challenge for, for the next round of people who want to participate. And I'm excited to get into that. But I wanted to back up first before we talked about 30 days to round. I thought it would be really great, Amelia, if you could tell us more about your platform and just how you built this wonderful educational component online, because you do you do such a really great job of making dressage feel inclusive that you don't have to be like a show ready, have big goals for the show ring type rider to really learn from the lessons you offer. So what makes you think of dressage in this unique way? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I'm just so passionate about riding. I love riding. I love my horses and I love the journey of trying to get a little bit better. And I think it's important. I always laugh and joke like riding is hard. Dressage is hard. And so we all have to unite in our journey together. And certainly we're all at different stages. Some of us are just learning to ride. Others are, you know, Grand Prix riders who are still working on the basics. And so through my online platform, I really am able to help people all over the world and in every single discipline. So whether you're a jumper rider or you're just a pleasure rider or you're an eventer or you ride Western, dressage really is for all of the disciplines. And I've always wanted to find a way to share my knowledge and my learning with as many people as possible. I've always prioritized learning and education throughout my career. And sometimes it's hard to find information or hard to find really good trainers. And so that really is why I started my YouTube channel and I started putting out little tips, you know, short videos that would help people. At first, I would hardly get any views on my videos and it was a little bit discouraging, but then I started getting feedback and comments and people saying like, oh my gosh, I tried it and I had the best ride ever or, you know, meeting people for the first time and they come up to me like literally with tears in their eyes, like you changed my riding and you changed my life. And it's just amazing that online training and that the videos that it actually works and it's, it's an incredible thing. So yeah, that's a bit about the story. Well, and it's amazing. I saw recently that you hit a hundred thousand subscribers, which is phenomenal. Can you tell us more about like why and how you saw YouTube as an opportunity to reach riders on that platform? Yeah, it actually, my brother, Joseph, he had a YouTube channel. And so he's the one that encouraged me to start. And like I said, at first, it was pretty discouraging. If you go back, some of my first videos are somewhat cringeworthy. But one thing that I've learned from horses is consistency is key. And so I just said, okay, I'm just going to make a new video every single Wednesday And little by little, they got better and I started developing a following and more and more people. And and then once I started getting positive feedback from the followers online, that's what really kept me going is knowing that I'm helping people all over the world who maybe don't have access to a full-time trainer or, you know, they're just trying to get a little bit better so that they can ride better. So being able to help horses and riders all over the world is incredible. That's awesome. 
So I want to talk more about the 30 days to round challenge. So it's open now. So folks who are interested in participating, we will share the link in our show notes where you can sign up. And like I said, I participated in the last one and just learned so much. And it really helped me really set a great foundation for my, I have a young thoroughbred off the track that I'm taking to the thoroughbred makeover this year. And that was my, that PDF was basically my Bible (laughs) to starting him under saddle after a racing career. But Amelia, I wanted to know why is learning how to ride your horse, quote unquote, round or in a frame, you know, that correct way of going? Why is that so important? You know, if you're a jumper rider, obviously you're thinking about jumping, right? And improving your technical ability over fences. But there is a benefit for the horse in the long term. And I'm just I'm curious if you can explain why for, you know, a variety of riders. Yeah, absolutely. That is a really good question. And I think when you felt it, like if you've sat on a horse and you've had that feeling of roundness where they lift their back and the energy flows through their top line, it's one of those moments that gives you chills and you never forget because roundness allows you to have this amazing harmony and connection with your horse so that you can do anything. You can turn, you can stop, you can ride a transition And so regardless of your discipline, whether you're jumping or, you know, you want to trail ride your horse, roundness really gives you communication and control. And part of it is physical, right? When your horse is round, they engage their hind end, they lift up through their back, they correctly use their top line. But in achieving that physical change, which makes it more comfortable for your horse to carry you as the rider, it also changes your horse mentally. When they give you their body physically, mentally they become more relaxed and they become more focused. And riding a horse who's relaxed and focused and round is so much more enjoyable. I'm sure you've experienced this than a horse who's like tense and inverted. And One thing that's really special about the curriculum inside of 30 Days to Round is it breaks things down into very small steps starting to teach your horse from the ground. And often I think that that is missed Mm -hmm. where, you know, if you have a horse like you for your off the track thoroughbred, they're not really taught how to accept the contact, how to go round. And so you need to figure out a way to break that down and communicate it to your horse. That's not just like pulling with more and more pressure and kicking because that's going to cause tension and confusion. But how do you break it down so that your horse can understand? And I've ridden a lot of green horses, baby horses, problem horses that like reared or, you know, bolted. And so you have to find a way to work with those horses and to help them understand. And that's what is inside of the curriculum of 30 days to round. So Amelia, what made you want to offer this program again? Were there any takeaways or lessons that you learned the first time? It seemed like you had a really engaging group of people. Yeah, honestly, when I did it the first time, I was a little bit like, I don't know if this is going to work. And it was a bit out of my comfort zone because the horse woman inside of me was like, really, like in 30 days, is your horse going to be round? And (laughs) I think we all know that training is a long, slow process. 
And achieving roundness is something that takes time, right? It's not going to just like be completed in 30 days, but two things, I think one, the curriculum is really well designed. And so we did see big transformations in our students within those 30 days, just the focus of having curriculum, having a goal, and then having this like challenge, like there is prize money, we're giving away $10,000 this year, which is just crazy. So like having the curriculum and the focus, breaking things down, we saw incredible transformations. I mean, it just gives me chills to think about like the before and after videos that we saw from some of the students. And then the community was incredible. Inside the Facebook group, people were so supportive and so encouraging and helping one another. And that was so special. And so because of that, we are doing it again this year. And I'm really excited. We already have people who have signed up and started, you know, practicing the exercises and helping one another. And it's just, it's an amazing experience to go through it. That's amazing. I love hearing about how the equestrian community can really come together in such a positive way. This doesn't have to be specifically with your round project, but what are some of the most common challenges you hear from riders? Yeah, I think every horse is different and we have to learn something from all of the horses. So, you know, every horse that you have is going to have different challenges Some of the most common, of course, are, you know, roundness, getting your horse going forward. I think one of the biggest overreaching challenges and something that I try to help people understand is that the way that horses perceive the world and the way that they think is very different from the way that we perceive the world because they are prey animals. And so I think all the time when we are interacting with our horses, when we're training our horses, we constantly need to be learning from them and listening to them and trying to understand how they perceive the world and what might be upsetting them. And then also how we can channel their instincts so that we can get control of them. And when we are able to become a confident leader for our horses, that gives them a lot of confidence and that allows them to let their guard down and that they don't have to be so worried about like the predators and the bushes. But I think that's a lot of training issues come from a disconnect where we forget how horses are thinking, how they're perceiving the world. And uh, so that's something I'm always trying to teach with my students as well. So we have some Great news for our listeners. If you guys are interested in checking out the 30 Days to Round Challenge by Amelia Newcomb, Heels Down is partnering with Amelia to give away one free entry for the 30 Days to Round Challenge. So if you are interested and want to sign up for the giveaway, keep your eyes peeled in the Heels Down Spark, our daily equestrian newsletter, where we'll share all the details about how you can be entered To win this free entry to the 30 Days to Round Challenge, we'll have more information coming your way this week. But Amelia, this was wonderful. We had such a great time chatting with you. Thanks, as always, for taking a few minutes to to spend with us here on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. And I'm so glad to hear that you enjoyed the 30 Days to Round Challenge and that it helped you with your thoroughbred last year. That's awesome.
They really did. I, I still have the PDF and reference it all the time. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I love it. So I'm super excited to introduce our next two guests who are going to talk to us about the RRP Thoroughbred Makeover Project. Joy Orr is a dressage rider and a riding instructor in East Michigan. She grew up on her family's horse farm where she began her horse obsession, riding her parents' Arabians at the age of two. Joy rode Western Pleasure on and off up through her teens when she was introduced to the world of dressage. She is one half of the retired Racehorse Radio podcast. Kristen Kovach-Bentley is the other half of the retired Racehorse Radio. And she actually is the communications director of the Retired Racehorse Project, which puts the Thoroughbred Makeover event on at the Kentucky Horse Park. Kristen Kovach Bentley hails from Jamestown, New York, (laughs) where she's set up a little racehorse ranch on the family farm and a cattle operation. And we actually are from the same alma mater. Hi, guys. Welcome. Hey, hey, Saxon Pride. Woohoo. Woo. Oh my <laughs> gosh. <happiness. laughs> so you guys have like, co- like embarrassing college stories you guys could share or what does that mean? Were you like in classes together, like the same age? <laughs> I'm trying to remember what the overlap was actually. No, Ellie, Kristen. Like, did we not overlap or did we overlap? Cause all we, those years blur together. <laughs> <laughs> don't they? <laughs> no, you were the assistant Western coach when I came up and toured. Okay. And we yeah, talked about I was always like peripherally. I was like, Ellie is a person that I know, but I don't remember <laughs> how. <laughs> and then when you came back and then when you came back, when you first got jobber, I was there and I rode with you. Oh yes. Yeah. Because I bullied you into taking like our first nice video in an arena ever. So I did. That checks out. That checks out for your personality. Yeah, that's very <laughs> so welcome you guys. We're so excited to have you to kick off, like just describe each other for our listeners. No pressure, but if you want to <laughs> say some funny stuff, we're all for it. <laughs> oh gosh, I don't even know where to get started. Well, when we started Retired Racehorse Radio, I actually had Jamie Jennings, who is on Horses in the Morning. So many of the listeners are probably familiar with that show. And then she has gotten very busy with Horse and Hound and has opened her home to helping retrain racehorses. So it was time to find another co-host to keep the the stories going. And I immediately wanted Kristen. Kristen had been kind of like, you were always part of the show, but just from the RRP lens. But it was always fun, like behind the scenes talking to Kristen. Her personality is just spot on for what I was looking for. Someone who's bubbly and funny. She's more funny than I am. I will 100% admit that. But also just coming from the Western side of things, and I have the English side, I, I thought it would be just such an interesting perspective. But Kirsten, if I can say this on air, you're one of those people who is like incredibly genuine and what you see is what you get. And that's what I love about it. So everything you hear on the show, that is who Kristen is. 100% in person. I can claim that now. We rode together last weekend. So it's all true. Oh, I feel like that's the nice way of saying I have no filter. (laughs) (laughs) Horse people, we don't have filters. (laughs) Yeah, that like that fell off a long, long time ago. (laughs) Yeah, your first fall off a horse. There goes your filter. Everything's coming out. (laughs) Yes, they're by the side of the road somewhere. 
<laughs> yeah, and Joy equally is like a lovely person. Like I always joke, like Joy is good cop on the show, and I'm bad cop. Is that I'm like, man, nah, just drink a white claw and get over it, you know? And Joy's <laughs> like, let's work through things and let's, you know, take a positive aspect of horsemanship. And what I love about Joy is that like the horses come first, but in, not in like a hover mom kind of way, you know? Like your approach to horsemanship is very much like let them be horses. And then we'll take a horse first approach to all of our problems. So it's joy that really keeps our show grounded in the horsemanship when I'm like, la 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 horse racing. And she's like, okay, well, it's also about horses. So, so we're very, uh, <laughs> very lucky to have joy at the helm to kind of, you know, keep steering our ship in the, in the right direction. Oh, thanks Kristen. We both equally harass our producer, George. <laughs> <laughs> Well, luckily we uh, we are the same. So all all of us together here behind the scenes at the Horse Radio Network. Poor George, he gets harassed by all these horsewomen, huh? But so you guys, you've been together for a little while now. I love the show. Obviously, I'm a thoroughbred person. I've got two of them. They take all my money. But I wanted to know for like our listeners who maybe haven't tuned into your show just yet, would you say your podcast is aimed at people who ride thoroughbreds, or is it just for any thoroughbred lovers in general? Yeah. Is it okay to say yes? I know. Yeah. But both. And yeah. all of those. I know yeah. we have a lot of listeners who don't have racehorses who just are along for the ride, which I think is really, really cool. So mm-hmm. hopefully we're encouraging some of those people to, you know, for their next horse, look into a racehorse. But I know like we have Mustang people, we have quarter horse people, we have mm-hmm. just horse people. We have a lot of draft people too. Yes. And I think what's interesting is even though we focus on retired racehorses, we offer so many trading tips that can be applicable to any horse. So while we focus on the adoption and aftercare and retraining of these horses and telling their stories of their second career, there's components that can be for anybody. So it, the answer is yes to both options. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So as you both know, I, I was delighted to be on the Retired Racehorse Radio a few months ago. And gosh, it's already September and the countdown is on for the Thoroughbred Makeover. I've submitted my final entry. I'm going. I'm like so thrilled. I can't mm-hmm. wait for October. But I figured now is a great time to ask more questions about the makeover and how it works. So Kristen, do you want to fill us in? Like, what are y'all expecting for the event this year? Uh, how many horses are you anticipating showing up at the Kentucky Horse Park? And I love if you guys could share a little bit more about what the community and the culture is like at the thoroughbred makeover. Cause I think that is what makes it such a special event that people want to come back and do years, you know, over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, eventing nation a few years ago called it the happiest horse show on earth somewhere in, in writing. And we sort of like, that became <laughs> kind of the uh, the informal <laughs> motto of of the makeover. So it's it's I mean, so many people come and they're like, wow, it's really not like a horse show. It is truly a celebration of the thoroughbred because everyone's on that same level playing field, right? Like you've all had no more than 10 months to take a horse that recently retired and teach it a new job. You know, and that that is a challenge, as you know, <laughs> as I know, as as a lot of us know. You know, it, it, I think it's one of the greatest challenges in the equestrian industry. I think everybody should try it at least once. But everyone who's there has been through that same journey. So we've all been through the same, like, abscesses, lost shoes, training setbacks, like, weight struggles. You know, my horse was a fruitcake at a horse show. Like, all that stuff happens to everyone there. So everyone is, like, just coming at it on the same page. And I think that's what makes that like just really fun. Like people are just so genuinely happy to 
be there. And like they got in the ring and they did the thing and it might've been like a horrible dressage test, you know, to look at, but for them, they're like, that was the best thing we've ever done. We're just happy to be here. So we always tell people like, even though, you know, you might not feel like you're there to win a ribbon, like you're just there to be part of that whole celebration. And that's very much the vibe that carries over, you know, into every one of the 10 disciplines there. So, so we do offer 10 disciplines. Let me see if I can do them all in one go. Barrel racing, mm-hmm. competitive trail, dressage, eventing, freestyle, which is whatever you want to do in three minutes in the ring, uh, field hunter, polo, ranch work, show hunter, and show jumper. So just about anything a thoroughbred can do, we have that offered. So the first two days, October 11th and 12th, are going to be preliminary competitions. You're going to see all 10 of those disciplines take place all at the same time. I think it's one of the few horse shows in the world where you can see all of that happen. Uh, and then Friday's a dark day for the makeover. There'll be the finale jogs, uh, the competitor party, and then the top five come back for the finale championships for additional placings on Saturday. Uh, That's also live streamed. So if you can't be there in person, you can check it out at the RRP.org. I think we are expecting, we have 404 horses who made a final entry. So it's going to be a big one. Uh, Just because horses are horses, there's going to be a little bit of attrition. So probably we'll see anywhere from 325 to 350 horses actually get there. And then we also have tip championships taking place at the same time. So thoroughbred incentive program. Uh, So there might be another 100 or so horses coming in for that. So be ready for a big environment. There's going to be a lot of horses. Lots of thoroughbreds. Yeah, I love it. It's a party for sure. So. <laughs> well, so that's that's big, but I know the nonprofit, the Retired Racehorse Project, is certainly a lot bigger than that. Can you tell us, Kristen, about like the mission and the work y'all do year round? Yeah. Well, and thank you for asking because so many people are like, I'm going to the RRP, and I'm like, right. yeah. That's right. our organization. <laughs> the event is the Thoroughbred Makeover. The organization is the Retired Racehorse Project. And yes, our mission is to increase demand for thoroughbreds beyond racing. And that's recently expanded to include retiring broodmares as well as the retiring racehorse division. And of course, that's at the makeover as well. You'll see some retiring broodmares making their debut as well. But we categorize most of our programs under either education, inspiration, or service. So the Thoroughbred Makeover, of course, is our best known thing that we do that comes under the inspiration umbrella because that's intended to inspire more people to go out and get thoroughbreds. And it works because that's how I got my first one. But we do focus really heavily on the education as well, because to create a better world for retiring racehorses, we need equestrians to be educated on their unique needs. And we also need the racing industry to be educated on what equestrians are looking for. So one big part of that is, you know, fighting that what we call the one last race mentality where, you know, trainers, especially maybe at the lower tier tracks will say, well, this horse needs to retire, but let's just race him one more time and just see if he'll get that win. And that'll be great. And sometimes that leads to injury. So, you know, a horse retiring sound is, I'm not going to say guaranteed to find a good home, but a horse retiring sound is much more likely to find a good home in sport than a horse retiring with an injury or worse is much less likely. So, you know, some of that is educating the racing industry to say like, hey, retire that horse a little sooner and he's going to have a great second career and we're here to help, you know, facilitate that. So, so education is a big part of what we do. And then we offer a few additional services as well. So we have our horse listings, uh, which Justine, I have seen a very nice horse you are listing on those horse listings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's for thoroughbred at any stage of their life. So there's there's a lot more components to what we're doing year round. It's just the makeover is our best known event. So we are the only organization that interfaces with all facets of aftercare. So not just those nonprofits, but also the for-profit resellers or in the listing agents as well. So we are pretty unique in thoroughbred aftercare land because there's a lot more that goes into it just than the adoption organizations. Sure. 
So going back to the makeover, I'm just curious if you can share just how it's grown over the years. I know it wasn't originally held at the horse park, but it's been there for a while now. And just what the goal is going into the future. Do you want to keep it growing? Or have you considered other disciplines? Just curious. Yeah, that's a good question. And we get the question a lot of like, are you guys going to do like a West Coast makeover or like a regional qualifier? And I would say in the the near future, like the next year or two, we don't have any plans to expand the makeover beyond what it's currently offering. In 2018, that was the year I competed. I think there was like maybe 600 horses made it through final entry. And the organization realized like, oh, that's too big. And that's, I joke that that's the only reason I made it is because they let too many people in that year. <laughs> but, uh, but that is, <laughs> that was a little bit too big for the scope of the staff and the horse park to handle. So that like 400 to 500 horses is kind of the sweet spot of the makeover. Otherwise it's just too big for that many people to handle. So what we'd like to do is expand the rest of our programs beyond the makeover in the near future. So we've changed our clinic offerings a little bit. We offer three different kinds of uh, clinics. There's the master class for introducing, you know, skills to help transition a horse right off the track. We also are offering thoroughbred sport clinics, which are more upper level skills. And then we have a picking prospects clinic where it's unmounted, but you know, you're going to look at a bunch of recently retired horses and kind of analyze confirmation. So that's a really unique way because, you know, if you go to the track to buy a horse, you don't get to take a test ride on the backside. You just have to look at the confirmation and make a decision and put it in your trailer and go. So, <laughs> so we're, you know, we're trying to gear our educational demos around, you know, sort of the realities of thoroughbred shopping. So yeah, we have a, a lot of stuff kind of coming on the horizon. You know, we're sort of at that like plateau stage of an organization where you know, it's time to do some really serious strategic planning, you know, and kind of look at what the next five or 10 years are going to bring. But yeah, I, I would say like, that was the longest possible answer to your question. There, <laughs> There's no plans to make like, you know, multiple makeovers a year. So if you want to go to the makeover, apply to that big one. And that's the one we're going to get. And it's, it's a great party. Everybody should go. Awesome. So Joy, why don't you start it off? What is your favorite thing about Thoroughbreds? Oh, it's there. There's so much. I think it's just their love to work and learn like they're so curious and they're very in your pocket at the same time like they want to please they want to know the job they want to learn new things every time they come into an arena or go outside I think coming from hot horses initially which I don't consider Arabians hot but I know uh you know stock horse people might consider it different I I've always liked that in a horse I like the inquisitive eye and you know it's not always for everyone. I always like to believe they're for everybody, but I know that's not true. There is a horse for everyone out there. But for me, I, I just love that brain of theirs. It's so active. It's so fun. And it makes me excited to work with them every day. Aww. And what about you, Kristen? Yeah, I'm on a similar page with Joy. They're just, they're such an intelligent breed. I got like burned out on quarter horses, you know, and, and some of it was, you know, in my line of work at the university, we were getting horses that were donated, you know, after their show careers were over. So there was a fair amount of like mental rehab we had to do with them. And, you know, it's interesting because you could look at thoroughbreds the same way and be like, well, these horses are also coming off their first career and doing something different, but they just, they're so like mentally ready to do something completely different from what they're bred to do. And I think that is really, really cool. So, you know, and I use mine as ranch horses, which is still a little bit unusual 
in the thoroughbred world. So they make excellent ranch horses. Like I have not ridden a horse as naturally cowy as my horse jobber in a, a long time. So it is, it's just really cool to me that like these skills can sort of get like awoken out of these horses that were not at all intended to be out there working cows. So. Aww. And you have a standee that does it too. I do. Yes. He's a riot. Yeah. And he's on, I think his third career. So he raced for a couple seasons and then he was an Amish buggy horse. And then a friend of mine got him like off a kill truck essentially. So yeah. So, and I was like, well, okay, buddy, if you live here, you got a ranch. So, and he was like, okay, I'm going to steal him though. I'm going to try to steal him. He has to be a dressage pony. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he's very fancy. Yeah, Joy came and to visit a couple weeks ago and was riding him around. And I was like, oh, he loves that. He loves whatever you're doing. But he also really likes to like work cows too. So you'll have to have to get him a couple cows. He can have both. He can have both. Yeah, he can do both. <laughs> hey, so does my draft cross. I think cows are so underrated for just the horse's brains. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It teaches them everything. They learn to rate. They learn to read. They learn to just focus on something else, you know, and like sort of just get more comfortable in their surroundings. So I think everything should be a cow horse. So ranch them all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, guys, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a blast getting to chat with you before we let you go. One joy is going to share a cocktail recipe for us, but we're going to save that for our Patreon. So if you want to know what joy brings to the, to the cocktail hour at heels on happy hour, you'll have to check out our Patreon page, but two, why don't you tell us where listeners can find your show? Of course. So you can find us on any podcast player. Just search Retired Racehorse Radio. We have something for everyone. It's always a good time. And if you are thinking about going to the makeover, we have a lot of good episodes on the limited horse, what to look for in makeover sales. You'll just have to check it out. We are also on all social medias. And by all, I just mean Facebook and Instagram because those are the only ones I care about. The the main ones. (laughs) (laughs) We're We're not on TikTok. Don't look for us. We're old. Sorry. So it's that time. It is Rose and Thorne. Who wants to go first? I could go first if you guys want. Okay. Go for it. Okay. So my Rose is that, oh my gosh, it's almost time for the Thurbert makeover. I can't believe it. I'm getting so excited. I just, I am nervous, but also very excited. There's lots of prep that obviously goes into it, but so far so good. You know, like everything's going going well and i just can't wait to get to kentucky with with wyatt and see how it goes so that is my rose and my thorn is that we weathered our first hurricane of the summer uh idelia came through it came up really fast through the gulf and and hit florida north of us and it was it was a pretty serious storm and just one of those like eye-opening ones to remind you to be like to take this shit seriously, you know? So luckily, uh, you know, everyone in my orbit is okay, but there are lots of people who had some pretty serious damage. And uh, I just, I hate hurricanes, guys. I hate them. There's just, it's such a stressful time. But uh, but yeah, what about you, Jess? So mine is kind of, my rose and thorn kind of are the same because anybody that has children will know. So my kids start school this week. And had someone go to kindergarten and Abigail's going to do like a fours program. She really was not supposed to go, but then found out that her brother was going and really wants to go. So now they're both going. He'll go five days a week. She'll go three days a week. And I think it's going to be great. So my rose is that they get to go to school and everything else. And they're so, so excited. So I'm really happy for them that. But then my thorns still like Doug and I are like, I can't believe our kids are starting school. <laughs> 
it does really fly by fast. So it's definitely different, but they're so excited and it's a cute little program. So I'm excited for them. But yeah, so my rose and thorn is the same this week. Oh, yeah. Oh my goodness. I know. I can't believe that he's starting kindergarten. Still seems so weird. Yeah. I remember when you you, were just pregnant with Hudson. I know. That's kind of (laughs) scary. My rose is that both Batman and Berkeley are doing really well. Yeah. I'm super excited about that. Uh, And my thorn is that I am getting kind of nervous about the Buck Brandeman clinic. I'm like, oh my God, I have all this stuff I need to pack. And no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I have two roses because I'm really excited for that clinic. When this airs, I'll be right in the swing of it. So if you're in the Buffalo area, you should come watch, come give us an audit and come uh, hang out with us. I'm going to try to schedule a in-person heels down happy hour uh, at one of the local restaurants. Awesome. All right, guys. So we do have a mailbag, uh, which is a really good one. It's about how, how to train your eye essentially to help find distances. So in this mailbag that we got in an email, it's a reader or listener asks like, I'm really bad at just seeing distances. What's the best way to help train my eye to get a better feel for when I'm riding to a fence or to a line of jumps to really like see the distance that I want to ride my horse to? Jess, I thought you'd be a great one to start with that. Yeah, because I'm assuming she's talking about just walking her course, correct? When she's talking about distance. Yes. Yep. So when she's walking her course, like, a lot of people have this question, like, how do I know I'm getting the right strides? Like, how am I, you know, some people, when you watch Doug walk, it looks like he's taking tiny steps and you watch me walk. I look like I'm taking millions. You know, I look like I'm like hopping from step to step. What we've done is we actually mark off in the barn for the girls to like, you know, all of the students, I shouldn't say girls, I shouldn't say the people because we do have boys, but we did it to a group of girls is what I'm referring to is we made them because they weren't walking you know, they would get the numbers and they'd have three or four more straw, you know, walk steps than we had. It's because they weren't walking off the proper stride length. So we measure it so that you do, you start walking three foot steps basically. So, cause what you want to do is you're walking a 12 foot stride. So you want four steps in each. So, you know, for us, when we're walking, we walk two steps should be takeoff, two steps should be landing. And then the strides in between are what you're at. So we'll walk one, two, that's where we land. And then we start one, two, three, one, one, two, three, two, one, two, three, three, and so on. But the biggest problem I found is people aren't walking the correct length. So we actually will measure it in the barn and do it a couple, you know, and like mark off the three foot stride. So they learn what their three foot stride feels like. That makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I feel like I'm also a tall person, so not quite as tall as Doug, but I, like I, I get the feel of like how to take the step, but I still second guess myself. So I really like that tip. I think that's super helpful. Yeah. Tape it off and, and practice it. I mean, we did it in the barn aisle and mm-hmm. we made them walk it like every day. So then, and don't just do one three foot, like, you know, we do like a 12 foot marker and then they, we marked off every three foot so they could feel it. And then they could practice it every day. They walked by, they started to get their distance correct with their walking stride. That makes sense. That makes, I like that a lot. Uh, And again, practice makes perfect, right? Like that's a great way to do it. Yeah. 
All right, guys. Well, if you want to hear more from us and you really enjoy our podcast, you can find it on the Horse Radio Network or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we really encourage you to support us on Patreon, where we share some exclusive clips. And if you want to hear more from us, you can always subscribe to the Heels Down Spark, our daily equestrian newsletter. You can do that by going to bit.ly slash spark by HD. And we want to say thank you to our partners this week, which is Equal Gold. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Cheers. 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 Cheers.